to the Hyper Voice. I'm your host, Stephen Morioka, and today I'm joined by Alexander Hill. Alola. Alola, and also joining us is John Hu. What's up, everyone? Alright, this is a show about Pokemon's Video Game Championship Series, VGC for short. We, today we're going to talk about some regionals that happened over the weekend. We have a regional champion amongst us. Uh, congratulations, Alex. Thank you. Thank you very much. You sounded like Johnny Bravo. Oh, yeah, you know yeah. Catch, you know his catchphrase? Hey, bravo, baby. Thank bravo, bravo. Thank you. Good effort. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we'll talk about regionals. We'll talk about the international in Australia for a bit. And then to start off, why don't we just get right into this? Because we did not get to talk about it before its launch. But let's talk about it now. The Nintendo Switch came out. This, While this isn't really Pokemon related yet... Uh, you know, we have those supposed Pokemon Stars rumors, uh, for the future, but who knows what's gonna, what'll happen with that. But the Nintendo Switch, why don't we just all go around the room, talk about whether we got one, and what the experiences were like, or what we've seen so far. Anyone want to start? Yeah, I'll start, I guess. So, uh, my roommate's actually playing it right now. You, you can't see it, and can't hear it, but I can hear it. So, uh, he bought <laughs> the Switch on release. He actually got it shipped in after he already got his Zelda game. And, uh, so far, uh, the controllers seem okay. Uh, I don't know, though. Like, I was messing with the controllers, and it, they seem really small. I don't know how they control, because I haven't actually played a game for it myself. Uh, but looking at the graphics and looking at the little thing itself, like the Switch itself, uh, being portable really, like, still gets stood out to me as, like, really marketable. Like, I saw a bunch of people at regionals playing it, so it kind of made me want to get my own. But yeah, those are my first impressions of not having played it at all, but just watching it. Uh, so I know Steven and I both got it. Like He got it, I believe, Thursday night or once it rolled over to midnight at Best Buy. And I got it at Best Buy. I was super lazy. Steven and I were both, you know, we missed the pre-orders. And so I, I didn't even go stay up late uh, at night. I just went to Best Buy in the morning after getting a haircut. And I was like, Hey, uh, you got any of them switches left? And they had two left. <laughs> and so I was super lucky to walk out of there with one. I was just like, yes, give it to me. Give me Zelda and I will be out of here. And, uh, but I didn't have time. I had to go to class, get back, pack, and then leave for regional. So I didn't get to touch it till, su- not Sunday night because, uh, I had a long, long Sunday. And then Monday, uh, I did try it, and it's been amazing. I'm loving the console. Uh, the controls are definitely something to get used to, but I think it's a good controller. And uh, as for the system and playing Zelda, because uh, that's really the main game out for it, and a huge game for uh, myself. I'm a huge Zelda fan, so uh, I'm. it's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, the game is incredible, and I can't wait to see how many different experiences people have with it. When you went to Best Buy with the two two systems remaining, did they only have grays left? Ah, uh, yes, yeah, they only had the grays, but I did want the gray, so uh, I was happy that I kind of lucked out that way. But I think since I there was only two left, and I was pretty happy to just get a system, I would have taken the color. The red blue still looks good, but the gray it just has a sleek look to it that I like. Yeah, I prefer the gray myself. I don't really know the colors seem like too bright. I kind of want the the gray, which I think is the version my my roommate has. It looks, I think it looks better. Personally, oh ho, you guys! I have a, I have a, ne- I have a neon one. So yep. I understand, I understand the perspective of having a more sleek console that looks pretty uniform. I, I personally like having the contrast, and uh, I lined up, you know, at the Best Buy maybe five hours before midnight, 
And, you know, waited, waited in the cold for it. Um, you know, luckily there were cool people around me in the line, so we got to hang out and talk about all kinds of crap. Sorry, all kinds of stuff, but, uh, <laughs> uh, man, that's not even a swear word. Like, why am I worrying about that? But, uh, we waited for it. You know, the, I guess that Best Buy had 46 grays and 12, no, 36 grays and 12 neons shipped. So, you know, they went down the line in order asking everyone, like, do you want a gray? Do you want neon? And then uh, I got handed out the 10th out of the 12 neons. So I was happy Oof. about that. I was like, got it. Where I were got you the in color line? I wanted. <laughs> uh, where were you in line, Steven? I was about the 15th person. Okay. So okay. I was the 10 out of 12 neon. And then wow. I guess everyone else didn't take the neon. Took a People gray. are really snatching up the neons then, apparently. I mean, it makes sense, but my Best Buy was out of them, too, as well. I guess most people are wanting the colored ones. Yeah, I guess it might be in a... It's scarcer out in the market, I'm guessing, too. Oh, that's true. That's true. Because you mentioned the one you went to had a different number of grays versus colored, so... Let's just talk about colored. Is neon. <laughs> uh, is that what it's officially called? Yes. Neon? I yeah, just think of it as... It's color. It's colored. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's neon. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned uh, your reasoning being you like the contrast, and that's the very reasoning that I think I was kind of against it. Is while the bright colors were cool, I didn't like the uh, mismatch. I feel like maybe I could have considered it if it was like all blue or all red, but uh, I like the gray just because it not only does it have that sleek look, but it's the consistency, the same colors on both sides. Yeah, honestly, I'm wondering if they're going to make any more colors of the Switch. Like, right now they have two versions, but, you know, maybe in the future they'll have multiple colors. So that's that's kind of my hope. We'll, we'll hold out for maybe a better looking one, which is the grays. Yeah, the Pokemon or the Zelda one, maybe? Yeah, maybe themed uh, theme Switches. Yeah, that'll, that'll be cool. Yeah, I definitely agree we're going to have more uh, customization in terms of the systems, because we've had that with the Wii's, Wii U's, and 3DS's, you know, through the years. So they'll be more on the way, you know, just got to let things settle a bit first and then they'll start rolling out new things in a year or two uh, along those lines. But uh, systems have been great so far. I haven't run into any issues. Controller took a while of getting used to it, but uh, I'm pretty happy with it. You know, not going to, I don't really have much to complain about really. Like I haven't faced connectivity issues. Some people have, have uh, been mentioning online and stuff like that, but Liking the controls, liking the gameplay, Zelda's been great so far. So I'm excited, looking forward to it, looking forward to more games they um, that are coming out in the future. And, you know, I really do wonder if Pokemon's going to have some type of future on the Switch. And, you know, more I guess more specifically related to VGC. Like, do you guys see this as... So obviously it's a possibility. Do you think it would be viable if we did, if they did something like that? I think it would turn off people who have been playing VGC in more recent years just because uh, you had to get a 3DS console to play and uh, get, uh, forcing people to get another even more expensive console to play VGC would be very off-putting. Uh, it's already, uh, it would also be very difficult because, um, you know, typically people who play, like I'm comparing this, since it's a home console, I'm comparing it to like fighting games where you have one at home and you practice with that, but... Uh, you could also just like practice with a friend set up and uh, a certain number of setup can be used for numerous people and you can use the games uh, aren't really specific to a player. You uh, can play on anyone's game, uh, whereas with Pokemon, you have to train up your own team on your own cartridge. And so 
it would be kind of weird to have a cartridge and not the console to play on. And I don't know. I, it just seems like really weird. I would, I hope that the Switch doesn't actually become something that mainstream BGC is on. I think it would be like interesting. It wouldn't affect me much, but I think overall it'd be a negative experience for the general player base. I have a bit of a different, different thoughts about it. So I remember back in like, um, I think VGC in 09 or 08, one of those two years, I think, uh, it was conducted on the Battle Revolution. So for the Wii, um, I don't remember which year it was, right. but yeah, it was, I, it was both years they had that. Was it both? Okay. So, so I was right then. Yes. Uh, but I, I kind of could see that happening for the Switch where the venue or like the TO has their own like setups, which would be phenomenally expensive. I know, but like, you know, since we are kind of like, since the Switch is kind of seeing like early Wii success as well, like it's not too far fetched if a game comes out like a Pokemon game. Where you could just take teams around, like, you take your team around, like, I don't know how you would do it, like, transfer from the DS, like, Battle Revolution had, or some other method, but that would seem a little more feasible than having to buy the whole console and use it as the uh, undocked Switch version, which would be definitely a hassle, and I, I think I understand where Alex is coming from, but uh, from 2008 and 2009, what sets I have seen, they've looked very polished, because you see the 3D models moving, and uh, I think... They were also, you still used your DSs to conduct the moves, but you just watched them on a big screen. Yeah, you bring up a good point comparing it to Pokemon Battle Revolution. I wouldn't mind seeing a change like that at all because it was still very accessible for players. Your uh, DSs, I believe, just connected to Battle Revolution and you battled that way. But you did use, I think, a Wii controller to pick the moves, um, right. which is a little, which was fun. Uh, and different and it, i think that having that different experience for players who are playing on stream would be really cool and really wild uh however we do already have technically the 3d models in pokemon sun and moon so i wonder what would they do to upgrade it to make it you know worth playing on a switch version of pokemon whether it's a pokemon battle revolution kind of style of game pokemon stadium style or if it's a brand new game like pokemon star as it's rumored uh i would like to see uh, like you said, the Pokemon Battle Revolution experience where they added it, but they would have to have, you know, a reason to make it worth it, like some kind of upgrade, that whether the sprites look cooler, they have more animations or different animations. There's got to be a reason for it that sets it apart from the 3D models that we already have in Sun and Moon. Let's get it. Let's get an announcer. Let's get an announcer. Ooh. In-game announcer. <laughs> there it is. Oh, that'd be so cool. Yeah, but that was kind of my stance on it with the, uh, if some, if we, you know, if we somehow managed to move over to the Switch, so... You know, in earlier VGC seasons, we used to play on Generation 4 games. So if you go back and look at some of those graphics, you know, they don't look as nice or as crisp as they do now with the 3D models and everything. So you just think about Pokemon Stadium, Stadium 2, Coliseum, and then XD Gala Darkness. Those would be able to transport your all your Pokemon so you could see them in 3D on a nice TV screen and stuff like that. And... Those were cool to see for, you know, like, World's Finals, National's Finals, back when we played on those systems. But now, since ever since X and Y, since Generation 6, we've had the games on our 3DSs with nice, crisp, three, nice, crisp 3D models. So, I don't really see, you know, porting it to a different system would be necessary. I would imagine, you know, if this rumored Stars game were to be anything, it would not be like anything like Pokemon Battle Revolution or Stadiums, it'd probably be a brand new adventure like XD or Coliseum. And uh, at least that's what I'm hoping for. Because if we got another thing like PBR, I don't really see another reason for it. 
Don't tease me, Steven, with the uh, Coliseum XD talk. We Everyone that's a fan of those games wants a sequel. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we'll get a sequel, but another... Or just another, gener- like, another Just a iteration. different game would be kind of... Yeah, another iteration would be really cool. Yeah, I think I want to elaborate on uh, Steven's point that Battle Revolution was not quite the same as, like, a Pokemon XD or Pokemon Coliseum. And I think that's one of the contributors to its less less seen success, I guess. Because it was not very... It was, like, mixed reviews on whether it was actually good or not. Uh, it did harken back to the stadium days, but, you know, with, with the graphics improving on the handheld Pokemon games, I really could see the the dwindling effect of having see them in uh, 3D, even though they were already kind of improving in the sprite work and eventually moving to, like, moving sprites and eventually models. So I, I would be hard to see modeling in a 3D game on the Switch being anything better than Battle Revolution. Yeah, I see, I see where you're coming from, and I just, I don't really see a point in having to port over to the, port over our stuff to the Switch when everything looks, it looks pretty darn good on the 3DS already. Uh, you know, especially with Sun and Moon, like stuff, the music's good, and stuff, stuff looks pretty decent as well, so, um, I don't think we need to be forking out more cash to continue VGC on a home, like, yeah, the home console, handheld console hybrid. So I don't really see, I don't, I personally don't think we're going to be moving away from the handheld at all on the 3DS or whatever the future handheld will be. So uh, I don't think we'll have to worry too much, to be honest. But I suppose that is enough for the talk about the Switch. Hope you guys, if you guys do not have one, I would recommend getting one. You know, I'm a hardcore Nintendo fan. I'm sure most of us, us, most of us here are, um, but let's move on to talk about more Pokemon-related things. That's what why, what you guys are here for. And let's start off with this before we dive into the regionals and what happened at the regionals over the weekend. First off, this weekend, we have another big tournament. You know, a huge tournament coming up, really. The International in Australia, I guess formally and officially called the Oceania International Championship. Is, is that how you pronounce Oceania? Oceana? I think I just called it Oceana. Oceana. Yeah. Oceana. <laughs> okay, Oceana. Oceana. Okay. All right. Nice. Well, Australia is playing host to another mini worlds tournament. We have the international. And after two great streams run at the regional level for both over the past weekend in Collinsville and Sheffield in the UK, we have nothing for this weekend. So, kind of a step down, Wait, but uh, kidding, just quick Steven, thoughts here. Right? I was thinking, like, I you mean, gotta as, be kidding. As far as I'm aware, no, as no, far no. as I'm aware, like, we have nothing. No, I, I mean, I've seen, uh, it started off with, like, kind of rumors where, uh, I saw on Twitter, Scott had, uh, posted his, what, the normal article that he writes before the larger events, the preview article. And somebody had replied to it and said, like, uh, will there be a stream for this? And he said, no, I don't believe so. Sorry. And then people started, like, referencing that comment and were like, wait, wait, this can't be real. This, like, is this actually happening? And uh, apparently it is the reality of the situation. Uh, other people have messaged them, reached out and said, is there actually no stream? And uh, no, there isn't. And so far, uh, they've been shooting down third-party streams, so... Uh, Australia is going to be a huge event that only the people at the event will get to see happen. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, 
earlier this year, there was uh, the Athens Regional in Georgia, and I remember at the beginning that there wasn't actually a planned stream for that either. And uh, eventually, Adam Doricott, who is one of our wonderful commentators now, he just joined, who was able to uh, work it out with the TO in an organized manner and get a stream going. And even though there was a couple of issues at the beginning, it turned out pretty well, I hear. So, even though that's probably not going to happen with the Australia Internationals, it's very close to the time. Uh, I think they even might be starting soon-ish, uh, or starting to register, like, lock their battle boxes, because over there it is Thursday night already. Um, I think. Thursday night or morning? Thursday morning. Um, so they're getting close to, like, starting, and at this point, if they don't have a stream set up, there's just not going to be any time to set it up at all. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed, like, that we don't have a full-featured stream to cat to see one of the internationals, you know, one of the made, huge major tournaments of this season, and we're not going to have any footage from it, you know, unless people are taping things from phones if there are t- even TVs present there. Yeah, I think that the people with their uh, phone streams are just going to get up really up close and personal and just kind of lean on their shoulder, breathe down their neck, and record these high-level games for us so that we don't end up missing them. Uh, really disappointing to hear, and uh, I'm just surprised that you know Pokemon has these big events all over, and uh, they're playing, they're uh, paying travelers to come out and play, or paying players to travel out and play. Uh, and so it's just... Seems really, I don't know, anticlimactic, uh, kind of uh, surprising that we're not going to get to see any footage from this. Yeah, very much a step in the opposite direction, I think. I agree with that. So when they first announced that we had four internationals throughout the season, you know, back when we started, like in the fall, did you guys have this, in in, in your mind, did you have this expectation that, hey, so these are going to be internationals, you know, pretty much equivalent to our national level events. I'm pretty sure that we're going to have these streamed. So... Were you thinking like that, or do you think we're just really spoiled right now? No, I would say that I would expect the stream, and I'm not going to feel bad for expecting the stream, because they're really hyping up these events. They're trying to make them out to be a big deal with big cash prizes, uh, and kind of an emphasis on uh, traveling around and going to all of them, you know, with the uh, best finish limit of four being for internationals. And uh, they made the other ones quite the... or No, there's only uh, one that's happened so far, but they made them uh, big deals, and so... Uh, they made the London International stream a big deal, and I think that we would love to see more of this format. We would love to see the Australian players play because not many of them uh, got to travel out to the London International, and uh, it's just unfair to Australian players who uh, are looking to make a name for themselves, looking to uh, show off on the big screen what they can do, and we're gonna just going to have to see a top cut list at the end of the event on what ended up happening. I would love to have seen a lot of this stuff live because... Uh, that's really when it's most exciting for me, VGC, uh, is watching the live events before you know the results. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and that's that's what Pokemon's is most exciting for me. Yeah, I watched the London stream when it was live, and that was definitely a really good experience for me. Because I don't usually have a lot of time to sit down and watch these events, either because I'm in them or like um, I'm just doing something else and I'm busy for the day. But London, London Internationals was like at the perfect time where I could sit down, enjoy the whole thing, and have nothing really stopping me from enjoying the whole thing. And I really enjoyed a lot of the things they did, especially because of the early meta that was developing at the time. They showed a lot of usage stats, some graphics that I think were really, really handy. 
and kind of showing what the common trends were at that tournament at the time. And it saddens me to think that Australia won't ever have that at this at this point in time because of, there's simply no stream. Yeah, you're right. And just with with for London, we had the so you know we're all from Amer- from America, so we don't get to see a lot, or we don't get to play against or see most of these players that often. So when we got to see the London stream and see all these European players or other players who came to fly out and play, that was that was a nice experience to be able to witness some of these other players who we never get to see playing and just seeing what they're going with and just to think that something something major could be happening in Australia. You know, I imagine not nothing much, but if something major happens and if you see some really wacky team, we're not going to have any footage of it. Yeah, you know, and they're not even doing, you know, some kind of local stream. Like, there's, uh, I'm not sure, we'll, we don't know for sure. They might have TV set up and Capture Card DS is there, but, uh, from what it sounds like, uh, we're not going to be able to watch this event unless we have someone, uh, like, you know, we saw, we see at Worlds, uh, Team Rocket Elite, Randy Qua's brother, uh, Jimmy, I believe, right? Jimmy Qua. Uh, he records a lot of the games himself, the ones that you don't get to see at Worlds because they're on those side TVs and not in the mainstream. And he ends up uploading those to YouTube. So, yeah, uh, if they do have some kind of TV, I hope we have some kind of hero like him, uh, recording these for us so that the players around the world can see what's happening this weekend because it's a big deal. And, uh, but right now, since they're saying that there's no stream, I imagine there isn't even like a real, local stream that they're setting up they might just be running this like a uh, just any old tournament where the games uh, happen and then there's uh no one being pulled to be a, a featured match you're just looking for another turn two forfeit on a tv right oh no don't mention that game <laughs> okay we won't so <laughs> no I'm, ki- I'm kidding it was a funny one yeah it was wait yeah turn two right yeah yeah turn two i think so yeah, Steven's referring to, uh, on YouTube, you can find it, but I played against, uh, David, uh, who's, goes by Awesome Platypus online, and he had Executor, uh, team with Groudon and Xerneas, and game one, he beat me pretty hard, and then game two, I led with, like, Scrafty and Salamence, I think, both weak to fairy, and he led Smeargle Xerneas, and so, I had figured there was not enough, not any more surprises, but there were more surprises, and so I forfeited turn two. <laughs> yeah, and that's recorded. That's on YouTube. You can see me <laughs> forfeiting in two turns. Yeah, so that was Worlds 2016 for reference. You guys can look for that if you're up for it. But uh, yeah, no stream in Australia. I guess we'll we'll have to live with it. Maybe maybe something will pop up over the weekend that we weren't expecting, but. Let's move on to the regionals here. Over the past weekend, we had Sheffield and Collinsville. We've mentioned this already. And all three of us were at the Collinsville regional. And we'll go ahead and talk about our experiences there. But we also had the regional in the UK, which we saw different Pokemon and results come out of there. And we kind of just want to talk about those a little bit first. Just to go over you know, some of the winners and the teams there. Because we don't know as much about those uh, teams over there. And we're just going to, you know, save ourselves for last. And then go, so we'll go, we'll go over Europe first and then we'll, you know, keep jumping back and forth. So let's start with Sheffield. And we ended up seeing uh, Albert Boss taking the victory over Alex Gomez, that is Pokey Alex, in second place. And interestingly enough, they both ran the same 
six Pokemon. Uh, yeah, I was really rooting for uh, Pokey Alex to take it because I, I actually woke up that morning and saw that he was uh, in finals, and I was just really excited uh, that he was winning with a team that was so different than to what we're used to seeing right now, just mostly because of the Tapu Bulu, who was uh, definitely falling off. But he had a couple of other choices that uh, you don't often see in regionals finals, uh, like Magnazone and Nialigo. However, he did have two Pokemon that we are very used to seeing in regionals finals, Porygon 2 and Araquanid. Uh, very popular over here in the U.S., has won every U.S. regional until this past weekend. And uh, I was just sad to see him finish just so close. He, uh, I believe it went to three games, and uh, it was very, very, uh, like I said, a close set. Um, I was rooting for Alex because we could have had the double Alex weekend where two Alexes won regionals, <laughs> as well as Alex is my manager uh, for NPA in the on the Akala Toucans. And he did help me do a bit of prep. Uh, we did a practice best of three with my regional team versus some team that he did not end up bringing to regionals, but uh, a strong team nonetheless. And uh, he helped me bounce around some ideas, mostly just listen to me ramble on and on about what I think I could possibly change around. And uh, unfortunately, he got second, but he got a lot of points, and uh, I'm really happy for him. I really like how you skipped Arcanine over like common Pokemon on the teams, and you just <laughs> ran right over. It's it's true, but it's just that that there's that regional winning duo, you know, and I had to mention them. It's funny that it won in Europe and not here. Perhaps the trend has moved overseas, so now we'll see only Araquanid and uh, P2 winning tournaments on the uh, European side of things. You know, maybe they heeded Gavin's advice, because uh, I remember him saying somewhere on Twitter that if you're not bringing Porygon to Araquanid, you're throwing. Uh, and so they must have listened to him over there and uh, proceeded to not throw and ended up winning the whole event. Yeah, old news. You've mentioned this already uh, plenty of times. Dude, I think you said this last time. I, I, I could have sworn you did. I probably did. I'm just a broken record here. But Porygon 2 Araquanid did have its reign ended in the U.S. We'll uh, talk about that later. But uh, we saw a couple of other things. Uh, I think... Uh, I don't know how many times we saw Ninetales. Actually, we saw Ninetales twice in the both cuts. So um, a little bit more common than usual. I don't think we've been seeing Ninetales in a lot of top cuts recently. Yeah, Ninetales I haven't seen in quite a while. Uh... I'm not sure why. I think people maybe have started to catch on to how to beat it or get around it. It's past spear tier and uh, typing and Aurora Veil shenanigans. Maybe people are starting to figure out how to stop it. Yeah, you see uh, other people running Gigalith uh, a bit more recently, and that can be kind of very annoying for Ninetales. Ninetales often runs the Focus Sash, and uh, having the Sandstream set up slower than it means Gigalith is a very safe lead against Ninetales, as well as a very safe switch in, because... Once the hail's gone, Blizzard is less accurate. Gigalith has that sand boost, uh, sand defense, special defense boost. Uh, it breaks the focus sash of Ninetales, and it can prevent an Aurora Veil on the switch in, which is kind of one of Ninetales' biggest uh, moves, is setting up that Aurora Veil, a simultaneous reflect and light screen for the whole team, making everything bulkier. However, uh, when it's just removed on a switch in, that can be uh, a reason that uh, you wouldn't want to use Ninetales uh, because of the rise in Gigalith. Right on. And with, uh, you know, in terms of other weather centers, we have not seen still no rain around too often, um, which, you know, isn't isn't really much of a surprise. But, you know, I thought someone would be tinkering around with it a little bit, but I guess not. So maybe they were at the regionals, just didn't have success. And that's kind of understandable, given how 
the metagame's kind of turned its turned turned against it, uh, being able to defeat it. You know, since it was kind of popular early on, so still missing. Uh, I still keep wondering if it'll ever peek its head out again at some point. But um, in terms of some of, some of the other players in Europe, we have you know some nice notable names out here. We have Javier Senorina, who was the he won nationals last year. He was, uh, which one was it? Italy, I think. Ah, okay. Was he the guy that won with, uh, like, Mewtwo Rayquaza? Oh, wait, no. I think it was, was, uh, was Xerneas a... Rayquaza. Oh, yeah, yeah. That one. That one, yeah. There was an Italian regional that was won by Suicune with, like, Mewtwo Rayquaza or something like that. But, yeah, he had the either Hidden Power Water or Hidden Power Ground Xerneas, and we never found out. Yeah, so, yeah, that's Javier. He's, uh, the national champion from... Italy's national last season. So he got third. We have Zog, Daniel Nolan in fourth. Uh, Daniel Ostekin in uh, fifth. And Rob Eckershock in sixth. Alessio Yuri Buschetto, who is, you know, very, very strong, notable player in Europe. And Andrea Sissoni, I'm going to say. I'm going to Sissoni in eighth. So, um, you know, a lot of these names we've seen before and just really cool teams coming out from there. You know, you see... You see Smeargle, you see Mimikyu, you see a Persian. Um, again, we have Zerka Tree. So uh, we'll, get, we'll talk about this later, but electric types seem to be the theme of the weekend. And just a lot of other, you know, there doesn't seem to be any, like, consistent trend on these teams except for Arcanine being the best Pokemon in the format, arguably. You know, I wanted to talk about Daniel Aztecan's team. Uh, it seems to be a variation of the Palosan team uh, with uh, the one that Marcus was running uh, because it has Celesteela, Porygon Z, Gigalith, and Smeargle. And uh, from what I understand, I think he was running that Trick Room Porygon Z with Breakneck Blitz uh, alongside Smeargle to help set up the Trick Room. Only instead he decided to run a much faster Pokemon in Feromosa and then Zergatry as well to maybe give the team a different mode and uh, perhaps bluff that it's not the uh, Trick Room Porygon Z mode. However, I believe that what it was, that's what it was. It did have that core, so uh, interesting to see that team having some success still because uh, people do know about it now, and it's uh, becoming a little bit more outdated. Yeah, and I'm guessing most of us didn't have time to actually catch up on the European stream, so I imagine... His team did, did get to see, we did get to see his, his team play on the stream at some point. So, um, we'll need to catch up on that. But, you know, I think, do you guys have anything else to add about Europe before we move on to St. Louis? No, I feel like we have a lot to talk about St. Louis. So, might as well go on ahead. Yeah. So, we'll move on to St. Louis. You know, again, with the stuff, when, you know, when we talk about Europe, we, unless there's a stream or unless we're caught up, we don't know too much about, you know, as much about the players as we do here in North America. So we can't say much about it. So, you know, that's, that's pretty just natural given we're from North America, play mostly in the North American circuit. But why don't we talk about our experiences in St. Louis, Collinsville, whatever you want to call it, you know, pretty much same thing. So Alex, you ended up winning the event which uh, was pretty astonishing. And, you know, just so from our talk last week when you were talking about having uh, needing pressure to win versus just having fun and relaxing. So first off, why don't you just tell everyone 
How do you feel about this win? Uh, well, it feels really, 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 really good to uh, have won a major event for the first time. Uh, I've gotten top eight before at a uh, regional as well as a national, and I wanted to improve past that. And so I was really happy just as soon as I got past the uh, top eight where I had to beat a good friend uh, to eliminate him. And so that was probably the biggest deal match for me because I had broken that like top eight boundary. But um, once it actually happened, it just didn't feel real for a very long time. I uh, went over, walked over to the interview, and I was like standing there waiting for uh, Evan and Cybertron to wrap up before it was my turn to sit down in the chair. And I was just kind of staring at the ground, just like completely out of focus, like, uh, do I need to keep moving on? Do I need to keep focused? And no, the answer was I was <laughs> I was done playing Pokemon and like I had won it all. And it just felt like like I, I wasn't ready for it to end. I was like just so, so caught off guard, so surprised. And uh, the excitement finally hit later in the car ride. And I was just really, uh, really pumped. Alex, always hungry for more, even after he just wins a regional. <laughs> it's true. I uh, I was feeling good about the team and it um Steven mentioned, you know, pressure to perform versus having fun. And I think I uh, was uh, having more fun than I was uh, feeling the pressure to do well. Like, uh, I kept trying to keep those thoughts out of my head. Like, this is a match for money. Like, every game is worth $250 plus. And I, I don't know. I just was so focused on just bringing Togedemaru and having fun with that Pokemon. Uh, it was a really enjoyable team. And uh, I can't believe that uh, this team is going to be something that I'm now known for, even though it's not very unique. You know, Togedemaru is now a Pokemon that will be uh, kind of referenced to me. And that's just really weird because I did not see that happening when I uh, came to regionals this weekend. Just looking at the... So, you know, St. Louis had a big, big turnout, you know, almost 300 players. So it ended up getting a top 16 cut. And just looking through the cut teams... You two, with your Togedemaru and Pikachu, uh, you guys have the only Lightning Rod Pokemon, which I imagine... No, there's a Marowak. Uh, there is there is a Marowak place, down. In 11th place, Keegan Meyer, who goes by Focus Sash, it seems, uh, had a Marowak. But uh, I imagine that John and myself brought Togedemaru and Pikachu largely because there was a lack of Marowak. So yeah, let's just... Yeah, let's, uh, let's excuse the... Marowak here and, and re I will uh, adjust my <laughs> statement to say you guys had the electric road. No, dang it. There's a Raichu. There is, but you know, it's worth talking about. Yeah, it's worth talking about, I think, too. Let's let's hear about your electric rodents. Like, why did you guys just end up deciding to use the Pokemon you, you did? Well, let's hear from John first. He's had this team a little bit longer, and uh, the electric rodents seem to be an edit to the team. Uh, and I want to hear about exactly why it came out to be. Yeah, so uh, when I was placed on stream in round six versus my good friend and training buddy, Giovanni Costa, uh, I was brought over for an interview right afterwards, and uh, I mentioned offhand to the, I think, Evan, that I this was my first day playing Pikachu on this team. Uh, I had just theoried it before. I never really tested it. Uh, you know, college kind of sucks. I don't get to practice a whole lot. Um, but... Yeah, so the whole five before Pikachu, those used to be, those were as a team I took to a midseason a few weeks ago, uh, and I was able to place fourth at that regional, or not regional, midseason. 
so the reason I threw Pikachu on over something like, I think uh, I mentioned that it used to be like a Clefable, uh, was because Clefable was really only there to redirect things. And I figured, well, I can redirect things and have other things to do rather than just redirect in Pikachu. Uh, and the, the fake-out support was really nice. And I also had, um, I was also very pressed for item usage. Uh, I've already used my Life Orb and my Focus Sash on this team. Um, and I have two Z-moves. So there's not a whole lot of other options uh, aside from like a choice item or uh, uh, I guess some berry, super citrus berry. So I decided to go with Pikachu because it seemed to fit the bill. Uh, Fake Out was very useful support and, you know, kind of fit the team of electric types here. Uh, synergized really well with the Tapu Koko and uh, the other flying types on the team too, saving them from the electric attacks. You know, I also think it's interesting, uh, and I don't know if you've thought about it yourself, but uh, we both kind of went Sajin style at this event. That's true. We went we went uh, redirecting Electric Rodent with uh, Water-type Gyarados. Yeah, Gyarados uh, being, I think, very important on my team, and I, I imagine it was uh, really important for you. you. We both had the oh, Z yes. items on it, so uh, we were putting a lot of focus into it. I imagine that our Gyarados were actually quite... Similar. Almost the same, I would say. I believe you were also carrying Taunt on it? Yes, I was. I was also the same way. I was Taunt, Dragon Dance, Gyarados. Yeah, so yeah, we ended up having the same Gyarados. We both had Fake Outing Electric Rodents with uh, Lightning Rod to redirect all those electric attacks and Discharge Spamming Life Orb Tapu Kokos. Uh, John and I, although we uh, definitely didn't work together on either of these teams, uh, we ended up with similar ideas, similar trains of thoughts, even though... John's looks a lot more bizarre just because of the uh, Aerodactyl Electivire and Pikachu. For sure, for sure. I remember going into our matchup in top eight, seeing as like, this is more like a mirror match. And, you know, it's really hard to determine who has the better matchup in that mirror, simply because they are similar yet vastly different. Um, and I think, think to myself, I thought of myself as having a slightly more positive matchup. But, I would think so. Uh, I just ended up you know, Alex outplayed me, and that was that was that. So even though the matchup might be in your favor, uh, you can still lose the game if you don't play it quite correctly. Yeah, I was uh, really nervous going into our set, uh, but uh, like I mentioned, I wasn't. Like, I really wanted to get past uh, top eight to uh, you know break that kind of curse that I had and get it into the top four. But I also was content, you know, if I did end up losing, it would be to you, to your fun team, and we get to see Electivire and Pikachu move further on into the tournament. Uh, however, uh, to be quite honest, I hadn't mentioned it to you yet, but I like I sat there for the entire time that we were like waiting to play, just like running damage calcs, and I was like, wait a minute, nothing's one-shotting Pikachu that I needed to one-shot it. Like Extreme Street from Arcanine's not one-shotting it, Dazzling Gleam from Life or Life Orb Tapu Koko wasn't one-shotting it, and I was like, all right, this thing is going to be annoying. Uh, and if you don't mind me asking, what uh, nature did you have on your Pikachu? Uh, I think I'm going to keep that a little under wraps for a little bit. I do have a report coming out, so that will explain all my choices. But I cool, guess cool. Uh, if you go to the... Uh, I'm going to plug this team. This is where I got the idea initially. If you if you go to uh, the Global Link website and look up the Pikachu Waylord team, that seems to be very yeah. popular. Uh, yeah, I've definitely seen that. It's kind of similar to that build. Uh, there's a, a few differences that I'll, I'll mention in my report, but it's really similar to that build. And if you really want, like, a look into why I chose Pikachu for basically what it does, that team basically has it set up so that it does what it's supposed to do. 
All right. The main reason I ask is because uh, I did know that my Gyarados would outspeed a modest Pikachu. However, it would not outrun a timid one. And so that wasn't something that came up in our match, but it was one of the things that I uh, ended up researching uh, when I was preparing for the matchup. And uh, yeah, I was honestly really worried uh, mostly about Electivire because uh, it does have that Ice Punch to get rid of my uh, Garchomp, who is like my electric immunity uh, as alongside Togemaru, but it ended up being a lot of the, a battle of the electric rodents, you know, who kept theirs in a safer position, who ended up keeping it healthier or, uh, you know, abusing the fact that we had two flying types as well to, uh, you know, make them immune to electric moves and kind of have a harder time, uh, taking them down. Yeah, certainly. So I think I was also kind of debating whether your Gyarados would be, you know, faster or slower than my Pikachu. And that kind of gives away the nature, right? So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but it, kind of in the back of the mind, I figured it didn't really matter because the fact that it was just a Pikachu might have scared you enough to not try to attack it with the Gyarados. So uh, I wasn't too, too worried about Gyarados' presence in the face of Pikachu, especially because I always usually had another Pokemon to deal with the Gyarados alongside it, such as Aerodactyl or, like, Kartana. Uh, and also during the match, uh, during game one, uh, people regarded, uh, the encore into Kartana as like the biggest move of the set, which I honestly thought it was kind of, uh, a safer play. Like Togedomaru wasn't going to be able to do much there, uh, unless you decided to go for a swords dance. And, uh, I admitted this to you during the end of the set that I had not count, uh, encore turns. And so when we had reached the uh, last turn of Encore, I had assumed I lost. I thought John had a plus six Cartana, uh, and it was just going to blow through my team. Uh, however, he did have to go for one more sword stance, and Arcanine ended up taking it. And uh, yeah, that was game one, and then you blew me back game two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was another one of those games that I probably could have forfeited turn two. It was uh, definitely a crucial misstep. I really uh, just didn't think you would not allowed the sash to be broken on Togedemaru. So I figured I was just going to fake out your Gyarados to stop my Pikachu from getting knocked out by it. Um, but it ended up being a very good call on Alex's part to just encore Kartana, knowing that he can Swords Dance in front of a Double Protect, potentially, or some other thing. So in, in that respect, it was a really good move that he didn't put a lot of thought into, but it ended up working out. Um, I even <laughs> I even had outs uh, outside of that, so I could have waited an extra turn by protecting with Pikachu to burn one of those encore turns and you know that would have definitely helped me in securing a victory there but i just didn't do it at the time because i figured well i need to break the sash on the toga tomorrow so i might as well do it now and you know yep yep wasn't too great of play for me in game one but it was still definitely like definitely a little closer than it seemed oh yeah it was a uh it was a close set and game one i still like i mentioned i thought i had it lost and uh that ended up being uh Ended up just because I had miscounted something that I ended up being able to take it. But you should tell people about how uh, game two ended up being quite different. Yeah, so in game two, um, there's a certain turn. I believe it's actually turn two. So in yes, turn one, yeah. we both trade fake outs, which is, you know, it's, it's the same old, same old. You either trade or you take more damage. Um, and then on turn two, uh, I switched Pikachu out to avoid Encore into Electivire in order to not only boost myself with Discharge, but to just kind of deter Togedemaru from doing anything, even though the Pikachu kind of did that already. But he, Alex probably knew I was switching out Pikachu, since I don't want to get Encored. Um, so I switched into Electivire. 
I did I did have Gyarados in the back as well, but I didn't want to switch Gyarados in on the potential Zing Zap, uh, and also because it's not doing a whole lot to pressure those two Pokemon on your side, the Gyarados and the uh, Togedemaru. Oh, was it Arcanine? It might have been Arcanine instead. Yeah, I believe I had my three electric or three ground weeks in that match. So, so aside from that, so I switch in on the Electivire, and then Zingzab goes into it. So now I'm sitting at a plus two speed boost, uh, and that's really bad for Alex because he has. It seems that he's no speed control outside of the Dragon Dance uh, Gyarados, and that's yeah, it's true. Pretty bad because then Electivire is going to attack first pretty much every turn and kind of run through with its unparalleled coverage. Yeah, you know, we saw in past years um, a Pokemon that had really good coverage before, like the introduction of uh, fairies, like was Mamoswine. Mamoswine had the uh, stab on both ice and ground moves, and it was really hard to deal with both of those at the same time, just because they covered a lot of each other's bases, ice being bad on fire, but ground being good on fire, uh, ground not hitting flying, but ice hitting flying. And you decided to have both of those coverage types alongside the uh, stab-type electric moves on your Electivire. And that enabled it to just cover a lot of bases, hit a lot of Pokemon super effectively. And that's one of the reasons I chose Electivire, which I'll, I'll detail more in my report. But uh, as it stands, ice and ground coverage, as Alex mentioned, is like very superior coverage to basically any other combination. Um, you could argue that some others, like uh, electric and ice, or maybe like ghost and fighting... Those might be like, you know, better neutrally. They better hit better more things neutrally. But ground and ice has so many things for super effective damage that yes, yes, there's rarely does. a time where you're not getting a bonus damage multiplier when you're using ground and ice. Yeah, and I also thought it was oh, this is the other uh, funny realization I had is uh, obviously your team has a bit of a throwback to the Gen Four singles Garavire combination. Mm, yes. Uh, I think it just ended up that way. I don't really know if it was, like, on purpose or anything. It might have been, mm -hmm. because I simply needed an Intimidate user, and I didn't want to add an Arcanine, because that's another ground weakness. So, yes. I figured, well, we can throw a Gyarados on there. That That's cool, right? And then it turned into the Garavire stuff, so... Pretty, pretty funny coincidence. It was, uh, your team, your Garavire Gen 4 combination ended up being bested by Gen 4's favorite, Garchomp. Even though it wasn't huge in the match, Garchomp was still there, and, uh, it was just like a big shout out to Generation 4 there. That's, uh, when I ended up starting playing, so it's just really funny to me. Um, but yeah, and then, uh, in game three, uh, I think that either John had a better position than me, or, we had to make right hard reads uh, for both of us because there were two crucial reads, I would say, in the uh, third game that I had to make against John to put myself ahead and win the game. Uh, the main one being turn one, doubling into the Pikachu, expecting Electivire to come in. Uh, although, to be quite honest with you, John, that wasn't... Uh, it was an option to cover Electivire, but it was also because Pikachu's fake-out wasn't going to put a ton of pressure on my team, in my opinion. You know, I was I was content with either getting a discharge or not a discharge, a dazzling gleam off against Tapu Koko and against Pikachu, or Flare Blitz one shotting the Pikachu. Either option, I think I ended up in a favorable position. Yeah, when I think about it now, it was definitely way too risky of me to switch in Electivire at that turn. But in my head at the time, I was thinking you had two options, which were to double attack or double protect, and I was yes. calling your double protect play. So I wanted the speed boost, and that was really greedy of me. But you know what? If you've watched me play, you know that I'm a greedy, greedy man. 
So I tried to get the boosts as much as possible. So Game one with that swords dance, you know. Right, right. You, you, you love your boosts. Definitely greedy. But um, in fact, if I had just stayed in, regardless of whether you double protected or not, if I had faked out your Tapu Koko and went for a discharge, I would have ended up in the better position regardless. Because mm-hmm, I would mm-hmm. get, I would either get free damage on both of your Pokemon and lose Pikachu as you Flare Blitz into it, or possibly not even because you could have gotten paralyzed as well. Yes, uh, I did. Which did happen, had. but not fully paralyzed. Um, and I would get a free boost or a free switch. Either or. Yes. And that would allow me to take my Electivire in if you knocked me out, and then boost up the next turn since your Tapu Koko didn't get to attack and has no hope of one one hit KOing either of my Pokemon. Um, and then, you know, I boost up and I run away with Electivire. If you double protected, the uh, next turn I would have my souped up Pikachu. And I know I was outspeeding you with the Pikachu, uh, your Arcanine, that is. And I know that at yes. plus one in Electric Train, I can definitely one hit KO you. And the only counterplay you have for that would be to Extreme Speed Dazzle. Exactly, yep. And that's a safe switch in for Electivire. I can either protect my Pikachu and dazzle my own Coco, or I could just yeah, you know, yeah. switch it out and get the boost on Electivire. So. There was really no reason for me to really switch Pikachu, especially since I know I can take one of your Dazzles, as you had pointed out you calced before before we did that. Yes. Um, yep. So, really, there was no reason for me to switch into Electivire. Unless you could predict the double protect. The, unless yes. the double protect, which is technically the better play if you double protect. But, I mean, even if I didn't, I would still be in a pretty advantageous position. Another play I could have done was, I didn't commit to it, but I highly considered it before locking in. Was switching out Electivire, or switching out into Electivire, and then Thunderbolting your Arcanine, which would likely have gotten the KO. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was very, very considering. I was considering that a lot, but at the same time, I knew that if you just double protected, I wouldn't get anything out of it. So I wanted to discharge. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, Stephen, you, did you get to catch any of the uh, stream at all? Because I know you were traveling home at the time, and I wonder what uh, matches, if any, did you catch. So I have seen nothing from either regional that happened over the weekend. Um, again, so for anyone who would want to watch the video replay of John and Alex playing in that top eight match, you can go to Pokemon's VGC channel on Twitch. So check it out there. But you know, I, when I was driving back, you know, I didn't see anything. I didn't. I didn't even. I hadn't even realized you'd won. Maybe until like a few hours later or something like that. So that was cool to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a, a quite a uh, regional, like, I don't know, my pairings were pretty crazy. I was happy with the uh, people that I had to play against, and uh, six out of the people in Top Cut were people that I had to play in Swiss, and uh, funnily enough, I didn't have any repeats in uh, top cut. So, uh, I ended up playing against 10 of the people you hear in the, uh, or see here in the top 16. I believe, uh, that's how it would work out. Cause six made cut and then I played four rounds. Yeah. So I played, uh, 10 out of the potential 15 that I could have played, uh, in this tournament are here in the cut. I played, uh, yeah, it was quite a, uh, crazy run. Um, I had to play against Alberto round one, and uh, I was not looking forward to that because he's a uh, he's won regionals back in uh, 2015, and uh, it ended up going to time, and that was one of the uh, crazy crazier experiences of the tournament. Uh, on day one, was my very first round went to uh, time, and I won uh, on tiebreakers in game three, and 
then I had to get right back into playing after that. Yeah, I have been in that position before where you time out um, in game three and you end up barely escaping out with the win and then being thrown immediately into the next round with very little time between rounds to, you know, gather your thoughts and kind of reset your thinking. So really good, good, good job for, you know, sticking it through. And that's a really crazy schedule you had, apparently, because I remember not having uh, that hard of a schedule at all. Mostly because I've been, I, I had been getting pared down like every other round. Oh yes, you did. You got paired down three times throughout the tournament. <laughs> yes, right? in rounds six, eight, and nine, I got pared down. The so, late pared downs too. Mm-hmm. So I definitely needed to win out on basically all of them in order to actually make cut because my uh, resistance was definitely booty. Yeah, it was super. Uh, yeah, we would say that his <laughs> his resistance was super low. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, but I'm sure that you still had to play a ton of uh, tough competitors. Like you played against Giovanni, uh, Giovanni and you Costa. managed to. Yeah, you ended up going eight and one, uh, as did I. So uh, still ended up, you know, winning that guaranteed number amount uh, number of wins to make it into the cut. You know, no. No worries there. You don't, you don't have to wonder whether or not you'd make it in on resistance. I I think I had potential because I was seven and zero, uh, and my loss was to somebody who was at eight and one. Obviously, after that round, and so I felt pretty good with my resistance that I would make it in. However, you, John, with three paradowns, uh, yeah, that was definitely a do or die. Had to go eight and one to make it, and you did just that. And you know those those paradowns kind of definitely sucked for my resistance. But when I got pared down, the people I played at the paradown. Uh, Giovanni was one of them. Excellent player. He's just having kind of like an off weekend. And the matchup we had was actually one I was quite pleased to see happen. Uh, because we were both running, you know, the Pikachu, Eevee, you know, that rivalry of cute Pokemon. Uh, definitely, <laughs> yeah. definitely a highlight match that I think even casuals can appreciate. Like casual players. Um, and then the other pair downs were to one really tough trick room matchup, which I remember being very close in terms of sets, in terms of the set. Uh, and then the last round was against a very, uh, I guess, local player in, uh, I believe her name was Megan. Uh, goes by Pink Sylvie Online, I believe. Um, and she played very excellently as well. But um, I was able to kind of bring out the tools in my Pokemon to eke out the win, essentially. Uh, and I guess I'll just say now, as uh, Stephen mentioned earlier, that John and I's match is on the past broadcast on Twitch for uh, Pokemon. I'm sure uh, a couple of months down the line, who knows, maybe even in 2018, Pokemon will <laughs> upload the battles from this tournament on YouTube. Uh, however, for the time being, you can catch them on Twitch. Uh, they did save the past broadcast, and uh, you can catch John. Ha- you had one stream game on day one, or did you have two? Just, just one, yes. Okay, okay. Uh, and I did not play any games on stream on the first day. Uh, I was kind of expecting it in the seventh round because I was uh, 7-0 and against another 7-0. We were the only undefeateds remaining in the tournament. And uh, neither of us had been on stream yet, but we didn't end up getting on stream. And I think that's all right because it gave me a slight advantage, uh, you know, keeping my team uh, a little bit more hidden from other people. Uh, uh, and so... However, all of my top cut games, because I was selected to be uh, played and streamed during the top 16, uh, you can catch every game that I played on the uh, past broadcast on Twitch, uh, all the way to finals, uh, where I played uh, Justin Burns, uh, who goes by Spurific, in the finals. And it was a uh, it was a scary matchup that I was honestly worried about uh, in team preview. 
However, I don't think Justin brought the uh, team mode that I was most scared of being Driftblim Tapu Lele. I think that's a good transition into talking about that combination specifically. Driftblim Tapu Lele. Uh, we see that a couple of teams in Top Cut have that combination. Uh, I know uh, Jeremy Gross used it as well as Alberto Lara. Uh, in addition to Justin himself, there might be one more. Uh, Gene, Mark, uh, uh, yes, Herbert? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he had it on his team as well. So, I think we, we should talk about that, because it's a core that kind of came around uh, after the uh, Geico, what is it, the... Onag. Onag. I don't, Onag yeah, the Onag right. Invitational, where uh, Shoma Honami won with the Lele Drifloon combination. You know, and that's... Uh... Definitely a dangerous combo. That's you. Uh, I saw a lot of that team wandering around on Showdown after that tournament, and uh, Drifloon was a Pokemon that just before that had started to spike in popularity uh, because people were interested in uh, pairing its uh, Tailwind setting ability with the uh, Terrain setting seeds being so easy to activate thanks to the Tapus being very good and popular Pokemon. Um, and I uh, I had to play a lot of those teams throughout the tournament, so it was definitely something. Uh, that a lot of people were thinking was the call for the weekend. And uh, it was uh, my one loss throughout the whole tournament against Jeremy Gross, his uh, Tapu Lele Driftlim team. And I think he was playing it very well, and I lost 0-2 uh, to two against him. So um, I was really surprised not to see the Driftblim in uh, the finals, but um, I definitely was you know happy not to see it. I think that... Uh, Driftlim itself isn't what really gives me trouble. It's that it sets up Tailwind. And like John had mentioned earlier, I don't have any form of speed control. So typically my best option against that team is to try to stall out the uh, Tailwind and then go from there. Um, and then typically against that team, I, I can't even use uh, Togedemaru's Fake Out because the Psychic Terrain uh, is set up after Tapu Koko's Electric Terrain. So unless I want to switch in Tapu Koko and go for a Fake Out, I'm really not getting much out of my Fake Out anyway. I also played Jeremy in Swiss, and it was a lot closer than um, than it was for Alex. I believe I had a couple of yeah, yeah. I had a couple of approaches to to handle the Driplin Lele lead. Um, one of them being that uh, Scopeland's Swords Dance Cartana, which uh, came in handy very well in the first game. I handily took it because on turn one, the pressure from Cartana and Aerodactyl on his Lele and Driplin. Um, forced him to protect that Lele, so I just got the free Swords Dance on that turn one. Um, so that was very much what I expected to do to see versus Triplum Lele. That was kind of the whole strategy I planned for it. Um, and even if he burned me, which he did, um, the fact that I was plus two and scope lens really meant, meant that I was pretty much still keeping my offensive threat. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense, uh, you know, to capitalize on uh, teams that go for uh, Tailwind in turn one. Uh, you see a lot of uh, protects against or with a partner Pokemon because it's their safest move. You know, they're going to get up Tailwind. They're going to have more Pokemon uh, on their side of the field uh, if they protect and you don't have a move like Faint. Uh, and especially with the Psychic Terrain, you know, you're not going to be able to get rid of that Tapu Lele so easily. And Tapu Lele and Jub, uh, it really uh, loves launching off. Uh, psychics at very fast uh, speed in Tailwind, and it's a very hard-hitting Pokemon, so that's why you see Tapu Lele paired with Driftblim, as uh, Tailwind and Psychic Terrain just can be too much for uh, teams, just with the overwhelming offense. And yeah, it's a really cool combination, and uh, I wouldn't have been surprised to see it take it all. Uh, we, that's why we saw so much of it in Top Cut. 
there's definitely counterplay available for that kind of lead, like what I mentioned with the Aerodactyl Cartana of applying a lot of pressure on turn one. But um, I think people still need to explore safer options to, you know, beating that lead. Because uh, as it turns out, uh, Jeremy's Tabu Lele was Life Orb, so I didn't realize that in game three. And it was able to take a very cheeky one-hit knockout on my Cartana because I just went with the same game plan uh, in that game, which put me immediately down. But uh, I was able to still bring it back to make it really close in the end. Uh, so really props to Jeremy. I know he expressed some trouble with the mirror, and that is something that may also be a problem for Driftboom Lele. It seems to have some trouble with the mirror. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know exactly what to do because, you know, that reminds me of 2016 where uh, there was so much speed control that a lot of times you were just forced to match it. And uh, I imagine that's a lot how the Driftbloom Lele team would play against each other is, you know, you have to set up Tailwind because otherwise if they set up Tailwind, they get too much of an advantage. And uh, I imagine there was a lot of Driftbloom Lele mirrors over the weekend considering how popular the team seemed to be. Uh, I played a lot of these people using it in cut, but I also played one or two other people who didn't make cut with it. So I imagine it was a popular duo and I imagine it to be even more popular moving forward, especially with recent tournament success. Yeah, I would think with the show, the showcase of Lele and Driftblim from the Onarch Invitational and then the recent success here at Regionals, I think that that lead specifically is something that people should prepare for if you're heading to a tournament anytime soon. So it's something to keep in mind and just be ready for. And then you have a whole myriad of other things to worry about too. So um, in terms of just general metagame right now, do you guys feel, what do you guys feel? Because I'm thinking like, you just need to play well because there are so many viable Pokemon right now. And as long as you're playing well and you have a team that works for you, you will you will find success like you guys have. And, you know, you just see, there's still just so much variety in the teams here. And I re I'm still really liking this format, despite it being a regional deck, which I'm not the biggest fan of, but... Um, how are you guys feeling about it? You know, I don't mean to speak for John here, but both of us are using, uh, like I have my Togedemaru, which is something you don't see as commonly. And then John has even more uncommon Pokemon. And, uh, I think that's kind of how he and I have fun. John definitely takes it a little bit further, but, uh, we like to, <laughs> we like to use Pokemon that you don't see as commonly. And it kind of, uh, drives you to play stronger. You know, you're playing with a team that, you have a lot of fun with that it stands out and is a bit more unique and uh that even though my team has you know five pokemon that you would see all the time and just a uh, the togedemaru was kind of what enabled me to make use of it is i uh i'm not a standard uh pokemon player but when i built a team around togedemaru i was having a lot of fun and we talked about this in last week pressure versus fun driving tournament success and i was having a lot a lot of fun playing with togedemaru over the weekend i uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I brought it to every single game. It was such a, uh, you know, a threat to be reckoned with every single time. Uh, just really annoying people with the fake out and encore. And uh, yeah, I think that my team that I ended up winning it all with is a very fun one. And uh, people should definitely give Togedemaru a try. Yeah, I have a similar feelings to Alex about Pikachu this weekend. I brought it to a lot, a lot of my games. Um, and it started in uh, the first set, game two. I didn't bring it in game one because I wasn't, I still wasn't comfortable. I had no experience with it yet. But after winning game one without it, I decided to try winning with it. 
And, you know, the rest is history. I started becoming a little more reliant on Pikachu, bringing it to more games. Fake Out was very instrumental. The damage output from Pikachu is, like, really insane. And there were a lot of times where I boosted myself to, like, plus three or plus four. And you cannot stop it at that point because if you let it attack, something's going. And if you don't let it attack, the other thing's killing something. So it's really, I guess not killing, knocking out. We don't kill things. <laughs> I was wondering if you would uh, make that <laughs> <Right>. change. <laughs> We're not going to kill things in Pokemon. But yeah, Pikachu, probably about the same level of fun as Togedemaru, but, you know, performs a different role, definitely. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, when I'm when I'm making teams, I got to go that extra mile and, you know, ensure, ensuring I have fun. Those are, those are evident in the team choices of uh, Electivire and the Kartana's item choice. Yeah, as well as I would even say Aerodactyl, you know, it's... Uh obviously one of the better tailwind setters in the format because we are a bit more limited but it's still a pokemon you don't see so commonly and uh you were definitely making use of its uh sky drop aerodactyl right now i i, I ex- actually expect to see aerodactyl to rise up in usage uh, i actually have seen it rise up already but it has a lot of tools so very flexible pokemon uh the only things really holding it back are you know lack of bulk and you know it's pretty pretty easily to easy to you know take advantage of because it usually runs a similar move set on all of its sets despite having a very vast move pool to work with so one thing that does stand out of aerodactyl of course is the very fast 130 base speed rock slide and i would be oh, lying i would be lying if i said i didn't rely on that for some of my wins so yeah rock slide is a good move and so is discharge discharge mm-hmm. is a good move Wonder- you had discharge wonderful too move. yes it is it is a wonderful move yeah. Um, and, you know, something else that uh, John and I had failed to mention, but uh, it was something that we were talking about before our set. And uh, if there wasn't so much on the line, if uh, the games we were playing weren't so tense, uh, John and I were planning on trying to rig the Skydrop glitch right. on stream. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. The, the Skydrop glitch where if you uh, Skydrop into a Spiky Shield and your Pokemon faints, which would be really easily thanks to Aerodactyl's Focus Sash, uh, yeah, the Pokemon becomes kind of like what I refer to as a zombie Pokemon. It kind of just sits there. It doesn't take damage. It can't act. And it basically becomes a two-on-one if you have any Pokemon left in the back. And you really can't do anything with it. Uh, it's still, like, its animations still happen. Like, it looks like it takes damage. It, like, sits there idly. But uh, it's a really weird glitch that we're not sure uh, what's going to happen in the future, if they're going to be able to patch it or if it's just going to be uh, another Skydrop ban, as much as we don't want to see yeah, that. Cause we definitely considering don't want to see how that. Skydrop is such a fun move. We don't want to see it go. But it's such a weird move with such weird properties that things like this happen. So... Uh, that was something that we talked about. Unfortunately, didn't get to show it off uh, to the world on the po- live Pokemon stream, but uh, might have might have gotten kicked out for that one. <laughs> you think we would have? <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. But definitely, the possibility like squeaked past my mind a few times. What if they banned me from streams? Well, you know, it would have it would have banned me too because we were setting it up. <laughs> true, true. If uh, if you guys had actually showcased it, it would act- since it was being streamed at the time. It would have given them a reason, more of a reason to actually work on the patch for it if they're not doing so already. Because I don't want to see Skydrop go away because of this. I'd rather see them work on an update for like version 1.2 or 3, whatever it is now. But yeah, I I think if you guys had actually done it, it would have um, kicked them in the butt a little bit to get them going on it if they're not working on it. 
Yeah, it was definitely something funny that we uh, we had mentioned to the judges too about it, like uh, like it was potential, and they were like, "All right, if you guys are gonna do it, give us a cue, you know, let us know that you're gonna do it." Um, so it was really funny. Um, we also something else that I did this weekend was talk to judges about the uh, the potential uh, intentional draw. Uh, it would be uh, it's when you know one player would win game one, and then the other player would win game two, and then. In the, uh, you just wait until, uh, what is it, sudden death happens and you switch every turn. And uh, apparently the judges aren't exactly sure how to tackle that issue either. Uh, it's something that, you know, the, they don't allow people to intentional draw in VGC. However, this issue, if they don't want you to do intentional draw, they're going to have to wait until these players click their moves like 50 times. And even then the game's going to end in an unresolved tie. Uh, so... You know, that's something that I hope that they look into. I talked it over with a couple of judges, but it's an interesting scenario that I've seen people talk about and joke about on Twitter. But if, you know, two friends really want to intentional draw, what's stopping them? Seems dangerous. Definitely, (laughs) definitely dangerous dangerous territory. Um, It's not like quite like TCG where you can have the same amount of prize cards remaining after, you know, your plus three turns. And it's really hard to kind of objectively say who has the lead in a trading card game. But in, in the video game, it's really easy to kind of see where each person is um, in terms of HP remaining and which how many Pokemon they have. Um, something that's just not present in training card game because the level of that level of um, difference is way more um, variable and more matchup dependent. So we'll see. We'll see how they handle IDing. Uh, I kind of want them to, you know, allow it for the upper tables who are already, like, guaranteed for cut, possibly. But I could see them not, also. Yeah, you know, just what do you do to stop it? Because uh, this is, you know, the reason that this happens is technically because of the uh, the new uh, timer rules. The uh, Not the not the your time, but the new 50-minute round time. Although I suppose it could have happened in the past if you... Uh, went to game three and just switched every turn. So, you know, it's something that maybe could have happened in the past, but I don't know. It's uh, something that people are realizing now uh, because sudden death has become more common and because uh, sudden death is, you know, play until one player gets an advantage. However, people realize that sudden deaths could never end if you switch every turn. And yeah, it would be uh, really interesting if this actually ended up happening in a tournament because I think it would cause all kinds of problems. Hopefully they come up with some kind of solution for it. I'm hoping so too, because that's not something I'm... Not too happy about seeing. Do you guys have anything else before we wrap up here? We definitely saw some interesting teams at St. Louis that have different choices, like way weird different cheating choices. I know that uh, Ashton was running, you know, a team that was fairly normal looking on paper, but his sets were all over the place. Um, He showed me his team during Swiss and I showed him mine in return. Um, he wasn't able to advance to top eight like he said he was going to, but his team is kind of wild looking um, when you get into the deep nitty gritty stuff. Uh, Ethan, also my top 16 opponent, his team had a Misdrevis on it, something we haven't seen for quite some time. I believe the last time someone used it to success was Enosh at uh, 2013 Nationals, or maybe it was Worlds. Yep. No, I think it was Nationals. Nope, you're yeah. right. You're um, right. And I know that uh, my friend the calculator guy, uh, Jake White, <laughs> he was messing with uh, Ms. Drevis Snorlax as well. He had a bit of a different take on it than Ethan did, but, you know, it's kind of a 
it's kind of a good core, so it definitely worked for him in this tournament. Um, as well as I want to point out that Alberto Lara had a fly Z-move Salamence, I believe. Yeah, and Certainly I believe the interesting. move was fly. Certainly interesting. Yep. I was theorying that in my head, but I think after seeing its results in the top cut, maybe it's worth looking more into, but you know, I just really don't like normal Salamence as a Pokemon, so we probably won't be looking into it too much. I do like Salamence. Uh, the Fly Z move, you know, I was thinking of it at first. I was like, wow, that's so one-off, you know, like you're never really going to be clicking Fly. But then I was like, that's kind of the same thing with Bounce Gyarados that people are really interested in using is, you know, sometimes having that one-off Z move is all you need. Uh, you see it on sometimes with, like with Pokemon like Porygon Z where it launches off that powerful breakneck blitz with Hyper Beam. Uh, and, you know, maybe there are, are situations where Porygon Z is going to Hyper Beam after that, but having a really strong Z move to just clear the field definitely has its advantage. If you have a move slot dedicated to picking up one of KOs, that sounds fine to me, you know? it's If it's going to clear the field, do it. Uh, I also played against Ethan in uh, Swiss, and yeah, it was really cool to see that he had Mysterious, but not only that, he uh, was the only Alolan Raichu we see here in Cut, and it had the sp- uh, special Alolan Raichuium Z, uh, Z-move, and uh, I thought that was, it was really funny in our set, because uh, I had my Togedomaru, and he was kind of in a spot where he had to either predict Togemaru to switch or he was going to not get much anyway. And so he went for the Z-move while Togemaru was still on the field. Raichu hopped on the surfboard and kind of just stood there, wiggled back and forth. And then it was like, uh, Togedomaru's lightning rod. You're, there's no surfing today. I'm sorry, Raichu. And it was really sad to see because I really wanted to see the animation. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a cool move. And, you know, versus me, he couldn't really whip it out either. Um, and he actually felt way more pressured against me than I feel like he did against uh, you, Alex. Since because yeah, I had yeah. two immunities, not just one, but two immunities to electricity. So if he ever decided to bring both of his electric-type Pokemon at the same time, he would feel really pressured by one of my switch-ins or possibly just, like, leaving Pikachu in. So he had he definitely had a rough matchup versus my team. And even versus Alex's team, it was pretty rough, too. But, um, you know, Snorlax is a good Pokemon for a reason. He definitely could have come back with just Snorlax alone if he got it set up all the way. Yeah, I uh, I ended up facing against the Snorlax too, and I, thankfully I had the Encore to lock it into an unfavorable move. Uh, also, you know what else is worth mentioning is uh, Conan representing Metagross in the cut, and while it was one of the, I think, yeah, actually the only Metagross in the cut, it also had the Fighting Z move, which I thought was really crazy to see. Yeah, it's definitely one of those... Random non-stab Z-moves, you know, just like the one I have in my Electivire. Uh, but uh, it's definitely interesting to think about because, you know, with Mimikyu Snorlax being such a popular duo, uh, I guess also by that, Mysterious Snorlax or like random Ghost plus Snorlax, uh, Metagross is super effective versus Mimikyu, and if you put the fighting Z-move on it, Snorlax is definitely threatened by Metagross, even though it normally would not be. So it's definitely a smart call, but... Uh, in top 16, it wasn't quite what he needed to beat his opponent, which I believe was Justin Burns. I believe that was his opponent. And, you know, Justin did have that Snorlax, uh, but he decided to... Wait, was it Justin? It was someone with a Yeah, I believe he played against Justin, and he ended up losing because he burned yeah, the Snorlax. Yeah, because he burned the Snorlax instead of going for something else. And, you know... Like a freeze, yeah. Yeah. So, definitely a good set to watch. That's I think that's also on the Twitch channel. Um Really close game between both of the players. Very resilient. And, you know, just unfortunate that Conan got the wrong status with Tri-Tech. But really excellent play from both of them. 
All right, but uh, that'll do it for our show. Thank you to John for being on here again. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's great being back. Yeah, love having our great guests on the show. Always add some more lovely opinions on here. Let's uh, wrap up here with... uh, We have iTunes. You can find us there. You can download the podcast and leave us a review. We have an email address at vgchypervoice at gmail.com. Send us feedback or questions there. And lastly, we're all on Twitter. John, if people wanted to find you there, where could people follow you? My tag is at jhufself. And it's very important that you have an F in there, by the way. A lot of people forget it. Otherwise, they won't find you. It's true, it's true. Yeah, and uh, Alex, where can people follow you? I am at LexiconVGC. And I am at SuperMorioka. Thank you guys for listening to the Hyper Voice. We hope you guys enjoyed the show, and stay tuned for more.